0: Welcome to Design 30. My name is Jason Bilyeu, and in this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. Today, we are going to be talking about A-B testing. I'm gonna discuss what it is. It's probably something you've heard a lot about, maybe you've used it, maybe you're even an expert on it. But I wanna talk a little bit about what it is and then go into a few examples of when you should use it and a few examples of when you should not use it. So it's a really helpful tool, but like most tools, there's definitely context that it is very helpful and there can be other contexts where it's actually maybe detrimental or a waste of time and resources. But before we get into that, I just wanna mention real quick that you can become a subscriber to Design 30 on YouTube. You can also become a free or a paid subscriber to the Design 30 Substack. And then as always, you can also find Design 30 on Instagram as well as on Twitter. And if you could share these episodes with people who you also think will enjoy them, uh, maybe fellow designers or engineers or other coworkers, who knows? But if you could please share the podcast, that is a great way to uh, help support it. So, with that, I have a whole stack of books right here that I'm going to be referencing throughout this episode. And of course, those will be linked in the show notes. Uh, So make sure to go and check those out. As always, all of the books I reference on this podcast are books that I would highly recommend you purchasing. Uh, I am not being paid as a sponsor for these books, so you know I'm literally just saying it because I think they're actually useful and beneficial and really good books. So the first one I want to start off with is called Universal Methods of Design. And this one will likely sound familiar to you. It is—it's not the same authors, but it's a very similar format to Universal Principles of Design. I believe it's the same publisher. The books look incredibly similar. Incredibly similar. Uh, this one, though, has uh, the Universal—the Universal Methods of Design—has a purple and gray cover whereas the Universal Principles of Design has a blue and white cover. Uh, anyways, yeah, it'll be linked in the show notes. Go check it out. I actually just started reading this book, Universal Methods of Design. It's been on my bookshelf for probably probably two, maybe three years now. So it's been quite a while, uh, but I'm just diving into it, and already I think there's some, some really awesome and useful methods, uh, which plays uh, very nicely with the whole theme of this podcast, which is design tools and strategies. You could also say design methods. Uh, That's what this podcast is all about. So yeah, that's the first book we are going to be looking at here. And very near the beginning, actually it's their very first method that they uh, discuss in this book, is called A-B testing. And so I'm just going to go into a little bit of how they describe A-B testing. They say use A-B testing to compare two versions of the same design to see which one performs statistically better against a predetermined goal. A-B testing is an optimization technique that allows you to compare two different versions of a design to see which one gets you closer to a business objective. The tests are run by randomly assigning different people down two paths, the A test and the B test, until a statistically relevant sample size is reached. At the end of the test, you will be able to determine which design gets you closer to your goals. So to put that in a little bit more uh, plain English, essentially what you're doing with A-B testing is you have two different scenarios, scenario A and scenario B. And this is actually really easy to do today with the Internet because you can literally show people... Uh, different versions of the same website, for example. So scenario A would be the website with, let's say, uh, a dark gray background. And then version B could be the website with uh, maybe a light gray or a white uh, sort of background. And then you can measure how long each uh, person who visits the website actually stays on the website. So if you're curious if this background color uh, is impacting the user experience, this is a great way to measure that. you won't know. Well, here. So there are some some drawbacks to actually understanding uh, why someone perhaps in this scenario would stay on the website or would not stay on the website. But you can at least test if the color of the background has an impact. I mean, you could look at a lot of things. You could look at how long they stay on that page. You could look at uh, how likely are they to buy something or how many of the people with this specific background, actually bought something. Maybe there's a connection there. But it's important to note that even though, and this is again going back to the book, even though there is a benefit to being able to measure which design generates better results, A-B testing won't help you understand why the design was preferred over the alternate. A-B testing is not a replacement for qualitative methods that can assess your customer's desires, attitudes, and needs, nor can it uncover larger problems, like whether customers feel that they can trust your site or that it is credible. To the end, A-B testing, or to that end, A-B testing should always supplement qualitative methods that help you gain a deeper understanding of what really motivates your customers and what they really want. So here, this is a big thing to keep in mind with A-B testing, and that it's definitely not providing you with qualitative results. It's providing you with quantitative results, which quantitative results obviously can be incredibly useful, and you can do a statistical analysis on that. That's another big part of A-B testing is, you have to do it at a high enough uh, sample rate that you're actually getting statistically significant results. If you do A-B testing with two people and, you know, you get uh, two different results and you're like, oh, well, it's a 50-50 chance, but it's not a statistically significant result. You got to have a large body of people to do this testing with, which again is why the Internet is super useful, especially if you have a website that's getting high traffic. It's really easy to do and really useful to use this A-B testing. But again it doesn't give you the qualitative results it doesn't explain the why of why they're choosing a versus b so it's really important to understand that limitation Uh, in this book they also give an example of a b testing just to help demonstrate what it actually is and they describe uh, an example with ebay and what ebay wanted to see is how much the size of the pictures on their website And associated with that, the size of the picture as well as how many listings they could fit on, essentially just on your screen as as soon as it loaded. So as soon as you hit search, pops up all these different listings. They wanted to look at if you have a bunch of listings, how likely are you to uh, engage and buy something? And then if you uh, have really big pictures, how likely are you to actually buy something? So what they actually found, so their hypothesis going in was that the smaller pictures would be better. You're going to be able to see a lot more options to choose from. But when they actually did this A-B testing, they found that the listings with the larger pictures, which actually showed less images uh, per, uh, essentially less listings on your screen at one time, they they saw that this actually performed way better, which was against what they expected. And... So it was was a really useful test in that case. And of course, eBay has so many users, it's pretty easy for them to get a statistically significant amount of people to go through their website. And what they're doing, like literally at the same time, it could be you looking at eBay at your house and then your neighbor looking at eBay at their house. And they could be sending a different version of that website to both of you and then measuring what you purchase, how long you're on the website how many links you actually click and getting all this different data. And yeah, it's I mean it's still eBay. They're not having to release a whole new website to everyone at one time. They can actually make small changes and then just release those to targeted groups of people. And you've probably heard of Netflix doing this as well. Or maybe you've even noticed you go over to your friend's house and their Netflix looks slightly different. And that's because Netflix is actually somewhat famous for doing this A-B testing. And they do, I mean, they try it out with all, all sorts of different things, um, whether it's the colors they use, whether it's the way they do their previews, autoplay, all those different things. They initially test it out uh, a lot of times in this sort of A-B testing format. But going back to this, this result that eBay saw, again, what it couldn't do, what the A-B testing couldn't do is tell them why this made such a difference. Why were people more likely to uh, purchase something? Or why did they get these better results with the larger images and the less amount of listings uh, that could fit on your screen? And so the A-B testing doesn't actually tell you that. My guess um, is similar to this idea of, of choices and the idea of choice overload. So a lot of the times, if you give a customer too many choices, you actually kind of end up overloading them a little bit of a cognitive overload. There's too many choices. It makes you more nervous about, I don't know which one is actually the best. There's all these slight differences and this one's slightly better for this reason, this one's slightly better for that reason. So a lot of people end up actually just not making a choice at all. So I think what eBay may have been seeing here is by showing less listings on the screen at once, you actually reduce that choice overload uh, to the user. But again, you you can't get that kind of information from the A-B testing itself. Uh, You're only getting this quantitative feedback of how many people made a purchase and how many hours did they spend on your website? How many links did they click? And you can compare those two results. But again, it doesn't give you that why. It doesn't tell you why the person uh, is acting the way they're acting. And so I think this actually leads in really well to the next book that I want to reference, which if you listen to my last uh, fake facts episode, uh, you will know that I really enjoyed reading this book last year and it's called The Lean Product Playbook. And I think he does a great job of kind of illustrating and driving home this point of when it's appropriate to use A-B testing and when it's not appropriate to use A-B testing. And again, this is The Lean Product Playbook. It's by Dan Olson. It's gonna be linked in the show notes. So make sure to go check it out And I would highly recommend purchasing it or renting it, maybe getting an audiobook version, any way you can to get your hands on it. It's totally worth your time. But he says in this book, product teams that reach the point of enjoying rapid iterative A-B testing have come a long way from their pre-MVP days. When there was less hard data or less hard data available to make decisions. Some people might be tempted to skip all of the qualitative testing and learning, just launch an MVP candidate, which MVP in this case is a minimum viable product, and attempt to to, to AB test their way to product market fit. That approach would almost certainly waste resources and fail. In that scenario, AB testing would most likely guide you to an inferior local maximum that leaves you far from your product market fit. So the idea here is you might be tempted to just go straight for the analytics, straight for the quantitative, just do AB testing. That's going to tell you everything you need to know about your product. It's going to tell you whether or not it is a good product market fit. And what the author here is saying is like actually that's not a great way to go about this. Uh, you might find a local maximum is what he calls it, which essentially what he's saying there is maybe you're testing two different things, you're testing Maybe it's even three different things. And that could tell you what people prefer of those three different options or those three different features, but there could be some feature that's you don't have listed in that three. That's actually way better. So that would be what is called a global maximum. It's something that the market is going to be much more likely to love and accept. But if you are only, if you're so constrained by this AB testing to one or two or three features, you may never know to actually look at that other feature, which could be a much better feature or much more profitable and a much more needed feature for your market. So that's why you don't want to just skip straight to A-B testing and straight to quantitative uh, analysis. You want to look at the qualitative. You you want to try a ton of different ideas. You want to test uh, a bunch of what I've mentioned before, prototypes. So these are just really low-budget uh, prototypes. And they're called prototypes. They're not even quite a prototype. They can be, like I've mentioned in the past, they can be made of cardboard. They can be made of plastic bottles, just really simple ways to test out different ideas and different features. So you can get a lot more breadth um, rather than going deep. And once you're going deep into a single product, you know, that's where you actually want to start bringing in a little bit more of this AB quantitative testing. But early on, you want to try all sorts of ideas and you wanna get user feedback on all those different ideas. Uh, And the whole point of that is to get this breadth so that if there is a global maximum, which is again, an option, a feature, a product that has incredible product market fit and hits a need, serves a need that is highly desirable, you wanna make sure you have the highest chance of finding that product. You don't wanna get too narrow Right from the start, where you're you're finding maybe the best idea between two choices, and that is what he's calling a local maximum. But that's not the best idea uh, that exists out there. It's not the best product to fits uh, to fit the need uh, that you're going for. And he goes on to say, but the foundational elements of product market fit, your target customers, their underserved benefits, and your value proposition are difficult to change once you've built your product. And what he's saying here is you want to use A-B testing to test stuff that is, again, still easy to change. You want to do it later on in the product so that you're not being too narrow too soon. Uh, But then you want to test it or use it to test things that are easier to change. If you use it to find... Uh, again, who your target customer is, that's something you probably should have done way back at the beginning. So using something so narrow like A-B testing later on, it's going to be so expensive to actually change who your target customer is. It's probably not the right scenario for it. Uh, You also don't want to use it to try to understand the underserved need you're going for, because again, that should have been done a lot earlier in the the product development process. So you want to use it after you've already found your product market fit, which is essentially what's the underserved need that you're going for. And then what's the value of your product that you're offering to meet that need. Once you have that well-defined in, you can look at things then like perhaps the smaller features on your product. So you can look at your feature set and do some A-B testing with that. Again, that could even be expensive to change. Uh, The the area where at least this author, Dan Olson, thinks A-B testing can be the most useful is actually looking at the user experience. And this makes a lot of sense in the context of websites or app design, Because the user experience is typically things that are pretty easy to change. This could be uh, the the size of the buttons that people have to click. It could be the colors that you use. It could be the overall perhaps layout of your website or the different path that people have to take to uh, add a, a product to their shopping cart and then check out on your website. Things like that you can actually try a few different uh, scenarios with that and you can push those out to uh, perhaps your customers if you already have a big customer base or you can even push it out just via user testing. So it's more the UX, the user experience aspects of your product where A-B testing can come in uh, super handy and provide you with really good uh, quantitative data. And then I think this actually leads in really well to the final book I want to talk about in this episode, uh, which I actually should have mentioned on my last uh, fake facts response, because this book was also one of the my favorite books that I've read over the past year. Just really interesting, offered some really good insights. And it's called Creative Selection. And this one's by Ken Cosienda. And the subtitle of this book is Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. Uh, So, Ken was a software guy at Apple uh, during, again, the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. And so, he offers just some fascinating insight into the process they use their Apple, what it was like to work with Steve Jobs. And it's just fascinating to learn about the development of, in this case, the iPhone, which, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Again, this book was was fascinating so it's going to be linked in the show notes. Go check it out. Um, make sure to uh, spend some time diving into this. I think it's well worth well worth the read. So what I want to quote from this book is a section where he's talking about uh, again, Uh, A-B testing and how different companies use it. And it also shows a little bit of kind of the different design philosophies uh, that different companies choose to to implement for their products. So he says, A-B tests might be useful in finding a color that will get people to click a link more often, but it can't produce a product that feels like a pleasing and integrated whole. There aren't many refined, like, responses. There are no recognition of the need to balance out the choices. Google factored out taste from its design process. At Apple, we never would have dreamed of doing that. And we never changed or we never staged any A-B tests for any of the software on the iPhone. When it came to choosing a color, we picked one. We used our good taste and our knowledge of how to make software accessible to people with visual difficulties related to color perception. And we moved on. So here, he's kind of referencing this story that perhaps you've heard before, and that he actually quotes later, or previously in this chapter, uh, from a person named Douglas Bowman. And this person had worked at Google, and he has this quote where he says, Yes, it's true that a team at Google couldn't decide between two blues. So they're testing 41 shades between each blue to see which one performs better. So what Google was doing in this case was, I believe it was the blue on their search button. And they couldn't figure out which shade of blue uh, they liked better or they thought would perform better. So they literally were doing A-B testing between different shades, between 41 different shades of blue. And what Ken is saying at Apple is that that was just that that's not something they ever would have done at Apple. They relied a lot more on one's ability to just figure out uh, what's in good taste, what looks good from a design perspective. And they trusted their ability to determine that. Whereas at Google, which is a little bit more of an engineering perspective, uh, which I, I think it's important here to know that. Google definitely approaches a lot of this from more of an engineering perspective, from what I can tell. And Apple tends to approach questions like this from much more of a design and a taste perspective, which I think is reflected, reflects a lot the attitude of Steve Jobs and the way he went about design. But so here he's saying, Ken is saying to Apple, yeah, they would never have had to take these months of A-B testing to figure out which shade of blue performed best uh, quantitatively. They would have just taken a qualitative look at it and would have made the decision and then moved on. They wouldn't have spent all of this time and money and resources into figuring out the right blue. And I think you can kind of see the difference between these two these two mindsets in the products that Google offers and then also the products that Apple offers. I mean, Google, they do a really good job of making uh, highly functional, utilitary, uh, just well-functioning products. I mean, Gmail works really well. Uh, we use a lot of, uh, I'm sure people you have used a lot of the Google Suite, whether that's Google Docs, things like that. And they make products, obviously just the Google search engine. These are engineering feats. They're things that work really, really well. But how often have you heard someone describe uh, a Google product with just the love and adoration that you hear from are about Apple products. When people talk about Apple products, there's a whole nother level of just commitment. And it's kind of funny, but more of a, a love for the products. There's an emotional attachment to the products. And I think that goes back to uh, these different philosophies of how these products are designed. I mean, Google's looking at, qual or quantitative results. They're looking at data to see which one statistically performs the best. And Apple is really trying to produce a product that people enjoy that actually brings a pleasure to the person who just looks at it, who touches it, who feels it, who uses it. And so it's just uh, pretty different design philosophies that both lead to uh, very successful products, obviously. Um, so again, it's one of those areas where there's not necessarily a right answer or a right way to do it, but you need to figure out what your... Uh, design process is, what's your goal as a company or as a designer, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to figure out statistically just what uh, is gonna get the most clicks? Or are you trying to actually create an emotion in the user? Are you trying to uh, enhance the pleasure of the user uh, who's using this product? Um, So, something to think about for yourself as you uh, continue to improve your design skills and choose uh, what what design philosophy you want to implement and what you want to embody as an engineer or as a designer. And so that's all I have on this episode for A-B testing. Uh, Again, it's important to remember that A-B testing is, it's essentially just looking at two different scenarios um, for usually the same product. Uh, The example I gave earlier was Uh, essentially the same website, but with slightly different changes between the two. And you can shoot those out to a high number of people and see which one performs better. So it's important to have a very large amount of people looking at these so you can get statistically significant uh, feedback and data from the testing you're doing. And it's also important to not skip the qualitative testing part of product development, which is usually the earlier part. And that's when you're figuring out what the actual need of the user is you're trying to solve, is try- when you're trying to figure out the market, and then what is your value proposition to that market to meet this need. So that's where you want to more than likely avoid the A-B testing and use it later on in the design process. So uh, I hope that all makes sense. Uh, Of course, as I mentioned earlier, if you have more questions about this, all of these books will be linked in the show notes. So please go put those in your Amazon cart, buy those books. Uh, Also, please feel free to reach out to me. If you have any questions, you can reach out on LinkedIn, or not LinkedIn, you can reach out on Instagram or Twitter, or you can also shoot me an email at uh, learn design 30 that's learn design three zero at gmail.com uh yeah those are the best ways to reach out so please uh, i love getting questions from people uh, so don't hesitate to reach out with those And yeah, I want to mention just one more time, uh, please think about becoming a free or a paid subscriber to the Design 30 Substack. I will be uh, publishing another article there within the next week or two. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss that. And there we go. I think that is it for this episode. Uh, As always, please remember to design more and despair less. Thanks for listening.